Matthew chapter 20. In your Bible today, Matthew chapter 20, if you will find it, page 997. Okay, Matthew chapter 20 in your Bible. And um, stand with me, if you will, as we read God's Word together, please. Matthew 20, and I begin in verse number 20. And then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, grant that my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, yes, we're able. He said to them, you shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, referring to his suffering and his death. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them unto him, and he said, You know that the princes or the leaders of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority or power upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Note that phrase in your Bible. It is not to be that way among we who are believers, but whosoever will be great among you or a leader, who will be great among you, let him be your minister. The word minister in your, new t- in your Bible is translate. The word translated minister is also the word for servant. One time it's translated one time, uh, one way and once another way. So they're, they're almost exchangeable. You could accurate, accurately read it as well. Whoever will be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant or minister. Same word, see. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Note that last phrase again, please. To give his life a ransom for many. Thank you, and you may be seated. An incident here in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ as he talked about service. The message this morning is, how may I serve you? How may I serve you? Well, most of us have gone to Chick-fil-A, haven't we? And we, if you've been there fairly often, you've heard those words that just you, you expect them when you go in. How may I serve you? And then they hand you your food and you give them the money. And if you say thank you or you, you respond in any way, you expect them to say something like, my pleasure. It was my pleasure to serve you. You know what I really really respect and admire about that is that this is an organization 
that takes teenagers, and after a little training, they actually learn how to smile. And miracle of miracle, they will even speak to you when you approach them. And miracle upon miracle upon miracle, they know how to dress. They look sharp. They smile. They speak. And I think, I must be on another planet. This is unreal. And somebody does an awfully good job training people at Chick-fil-A. And the other thing about them, they are the fastest growing the most profitable fast food chain in America. You probably have figured out by now that Mark Drummond has paid me to preach this message today. (laughs) Right? Well, he really hasn't. But you know what? It is the fastest growing, most profitable fast food chain in America. Here's what is even more astounding. They make more money, more profit, in six days a week than everybody else makes in seven days a week because they close on Sunday. Praise God, there's somebody left like that. And uh, Austin told me recently, he said, you know what? People so expect that level of service that when they don't get it, they email my dad. And they say, I came to the restaurant today and nobody said, may I serve? how may I serve you? Or They'll turn the employees in and say, you know what? They didn't say my pleasure when they said thank you. And so they've obviously created an expectation that's pretty hard to play back to. You better keep on doing it once you've created that level of expectation. Chick-fil-A was founded by a godly Christian man whose name was Truett Cathy. And there's his picture. Mr. Cathy lived in the Atlanta area. I think early in his life, he had a business failure or two. His whole life was not one unbroken string of successes, but uh, he started his fast food chain there with one restaurant, cooking himself. Do you know what else I admire about, though, Mr. Kathy? I'm not talking about chicken sandwiches from this point on. It was his spirit. It was his attitude toward service. You see, Mr. Cathy, a business executive of 15 or 1,800 restaurants worldwide, until he was too old and weak to teach, taught a junior high boys Sunday school class every Sunday for 50 years plus. Somebody says, I'm too busy to serve the Lord. Well, do you run 1,500 restaurants? Do you run 1,500 operations around the world? He probably was a fairly busy fellow himself, don't you think? And he did that into his 90s. God blessed him with hell. You know what else he did? It never gets in the paper. I met a missionary one day, and the missionary said to me, I went to Atlanta at the Atlanta airport, and I picked up my car. I said, what do you mean you picked up your car at the airport? He said, Mr. Kathy provides missionaries a car for the year that they're home on their furlough and their deputation. Doesn't cost us a thing. You go, you fill out the paperwork, you pick up the keys, get in the car and drive it off. And he gives us a car for one year while we're out on the road traveling, serving the Lord. He closed his restaurants on Sunday 
because he wanted his employees to be able to go to church and not have an excuse or to not be able to attend because they had to serve or to work. And I have a quote from him that I think epitomizes his life. Nearly every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to give something to someone else. Stop and think about that. Nearly every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to give something to someone else. It may be our time, our love, our resources. But I have always felt more joy in giving when I did not expect anything in return. Truett Cathy, truly a great man, a great Christian man, and a man who has made a mark on all of America by his spirit toward service. Now, in Matthew chapter 20, I have read to you a passage of Scripture that gives us Jesus' teaching, Jesus' attitude, if you will, about service. What did Jesus say about the importance of service in the life of a Christian? Well, you know the story here. James and John, two of the apostles, they came to him. And obviously, at this point in time, these young men had been bitten with this appetite for greatness and success, and they had rather uncontrolled ambition, I would say, at this point. They even took their mom along with them, who Jesus knew because they were the sons of Zebedee. They dated back to the beginning of his ministry. They took mom with them, and they all came to Jesus, and they said, she said to them, to him, Lord, I want my son... I want one of them to sit on the right hand, and I want another one to sit on the left hand of your throne when you come back and rule over the entire universe. Not a big thing. There's been several billion people live on the earth throughout the ages, but the only thing I'd like for you is when you come back and sit on the throne of the universe, I'd just like for John to sit over here and James to sit over here if that's okay with you. And the Lord said to them, I don't think you know what you're asking. And James and John chimed, oh, yes, we're able to do that. Yes, we understand that. And in verse number 23, Jesus told them how costly it would be. He said, well, you will have to drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. Baptism means immersion, doesn't it? In the original scriptures, the word baptizo means nothing but to immerse. And what he was saying here you will have to immerse your entire life in my cause. And you will have to be willing to give and give and give until there's nothing to give, and then you'll be called upon to give beyond that. It will not be easy, and I can't promise you that anyhow. That's in the Father's hand to determine that. But he, used, he, he pointed out that this would be a very costly thing. For that, whoever will sit on the right hand and th- and left hand, he, he certainly implied it would be because of their service, and it would cost them deep sacrifice. It would cost them inconvenience. They would have to go against their own desires for comfort. They would have to be willing to give and to share in every way, not just money and possessions, but mostly their life and their heart. And it would take humility because in the rest of the world, people are 
clawing and scrambling to get on top of everybody else and to climb the ladder. But Jesus said, the way up is down. If you want to go to the top, you be the servant of everybody. And we've seen the people who are eat up with their ambition and their self-importance, and they, they, they flaunt that. And they don't want to serve anybody. They want rank. They want position. They want recognition. But they don't want to pay that requisite price to be able to receive that. Francis Schaeffer, who I often quote to you, wrote all the way back in the early 90s just before he died, He said, the twin gods of America are two. Now, listen to what this, one of the great thinkers, the Christian thinkers of our generation are two. Everybody respect Francis Schaeffer that knew about him. He said that America has two gods, twin gods, that the people worship. The first one is personal comfort. That's a god to people. Don't ask me to give away my comfort. And the second is convenience. He said people in America worship convenience. And you look at the gadgets that we have that are just strictly for convenience. And you'd have to say that some people's gods are comfort and their convenience. And what Jesus is saying, you can't, have, you can't worship those gods. Those can't be your most important values if you're going to follow me. Your values have to be different. They have to be service and humility and giving and humbling oneself if you and I want to reach the top, in his opinion. Well, they sure had to pay that price. They went through that baptism. James was the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 11. Herod imprisoned him and cut his head off. So he paid the price. He was baptized to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, not in water, but in suffering as well. And then John, his brother, wrote the Revelation in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of John, but what a difference in him. He's now humbled. He has a humble spirit. He is not promoting himself. He's humble. And they persecuted him. They exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, a bleak little tiny island just a few square miles in size. And it was where the Romans dug salt for the Roman Empire. It was bleak, and salt had killed all the vegetation. And John spent the rest of his life on Patmos alone, paying the price of the greatness that he had requested. Now, when they came to him, Jesus recognized this as a teachable moment. Look in verse number 25. What Jesus says is, you know how the princes of the Gentiles, in other words, the secular world, how the secular world operates and how the secular world thinks. And Jesus said, it operates according to rank. You know, you're above somebody. There's a hierarchy. The secular world uh, operates by position. You're the CEO, the president. You're the janitor or whatever the titles may be. The secular world operates by tenure. I've been here longer, so I am deserving more than the guy who hasn't been here very long. And Jesus said, among God's people, this is not true. Now, look in verse 26, and if you have a pen, underline that first phrase. It shall not 
be so among you. In the world of the gospel, in the kingdom of God, it's not rank and position and power and grappling and all of that. It is service that counts. It is service that counts. And the Lord Jesus Christ emphasized that. You know what? Even though the world recognizes other things, I think the world respects the person who has that servant attitude. And I think even then they go to the top. I, Chick-fil-A be my example. I went to Costa Rica, as you know, a couple months ago. And the missionary took me and checked me in a hotel. It was a normal hotel. It sure wasn't a five-star, but it wasn't a one-star. It was a nice place, about like a holiday inn here, something like that. And I checked into the hotel, and I got to the desk, and they said, where are you from? I said, I'm from South Carolina. They'd never heard of it. And then I said, they asked me, why are you here? I'm with him, our missionary here, and I'm going to be preaching in a conference over here. And... uh, Very, very nice. Young lady, attractive young lady, about 22 or 3 years old. She spoke Spanglish, (laughs) half English and half Spanish, but we communicated well. And she said, well, Mr. Monroe, we're sure glad that you chose us to stay here. Here's your bottle of water and your room and -and so-and-so. She handed me my keys, and so I went up, and, and, and I enjoyed that welcome. It was nice. It was personal. After a while, I came down, and you know what? She wasn't working the desk, but I'm ready to go and preach that evening in the service. And there was a young man there about the same age. He said, hello, Mr. Monroe. We're glad to have you staying with us. I said, wow, he knows my name. Somebody bothered to think and care. And I came in that evening after the service. We hope you had a good evening, Mr. Monroe. Yes, sir, I sure did. Well, welcome back to the hotel. I hope you'll have a good night's sleep. Now, in the morning, we have a buffet. And you can come down any time between 6 and 10 o'clock, and you go right over there and explain to me how to go and eat in the buffet. It's just so good to have you here, Mr. Monroe. I thought, I like this place. They could teach these American hotels something, I'll tell you that. And uh, all week long it was like that. I couldn't get the, I went to the little business center where you hook your computer in, it's supposed to print it print your stuff, and the printer was broken in there. It was the only flaw I saw all week. And uh, so I I, I couldn't get it to work, and I took my computer. I'm standing here with my computer. I go down to the desk. I say to the one working down there, I got to know them all by now. I said, can you uh, help me? I need to print my outline. I'm going to preach in a few minutes. And they said, "Uh, sure, Mr. Monroe, and just email it to me at this number, and I emailed it to them, and they printed it out on their printer and handed it to me. It's a pleasure to serve you, Mr. Monroe. Boy, if I ever go to San Jose, Costa Rica, where do you think I will stay the next time? Huh? You know where I'll stay. A couple of years ago, I had a procedure at McLeod Hospital. I've never been in such a friendly place in my life as McLeod Hospital. Everybody there was so interested in me. 20 people asked me when my birthday was. Everybody came to me, and can you tell me your birthday, Mr. Monroe? Yeah. I think McLeod is planning a big party for me on my birthday. 
My soul, I never had so many people in my life interested in my birthday. Service. No, I do want to compliment them. You know, I've seen a difference in that hospital through the years. And now when I walk the hall, the employees look at me and smile and speak to me. And you know what that says? Somebody's doing a good job training. And somebody understands what it means to have a servant spirit. And I, I don't want to go to the hospital, but that wins your respect, doesn't it? It makes you understand that people are interested in you as a person. So <clears throat> what did Jesus teach about service? He taught that the way up is down, contrary to everything the world teaches. And that's my second point to you. Jesus' philosophy turned conventional wisdom upside down and on its head. Jesus said to the people, look, in the Gentile world, in the world of culture and society, the pagan world around you, everybody is scrambling for that position. But in the world of the gospel, in the kingdom of the Lord, in the Christian world, it's different. In verse number 26, notice what he said. Let's, let's, they're simple terms, but let's reanalyze them. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. In other words, greatness comes from serving, not from getting. Greatness comes from service. In verse number 27, it says, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. If you want to be chief, if you want to be a leader, you serve. It's not that you have people serve you. Leadership comes from service. Verse number 28, notice it again. Jesus did not come, he said, even himself. The Lord of the universe, the creator, he didn't come to be served. He came to take the form of the servant and to serve. Go to Philippians chapter 2 with me, if you will, for a moment, please. The book of Philippians chapter 2, and it's one of the most famous uh, passages in Scripture, but it describes this servant spirit attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, in verse number 5, let this mind, mind referring to attitude or way of thinking or thought process, let this mind or attitude be in you which was in Christ. In other words, be, think like the Lord Jesus Christ. And how did he think? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Man, people today are so focused on their reputation, their image. Jesus, that didn't matter a fig to him. He didn't care about reputation. He made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a, say it with me, servant. <clears throat> say it again. Jesus became a servant. He became a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men, referring to the incarnation. And then being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, born in a manger, born into a carpenter's family, lived in a little backwater village up in the Galilee instead of one of the big cities, didn't have a 
well-rounded education in terms of the world's view. Took a job as a carpenter himself and served people. And every time you see the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, every time people approach him, he serves them. In fact, someone said this, and I, I read it early in my ministry, and I've never forgotten it. Jesus Christ never did one single thing for himself. He never asked anybody for anything until near the end, and he asked for a drink of water. The only thing he ever requested. He was so servant-minded that it was always all about the other people. And this is his philosophy here. He not only was interested in how much people served, the quantity of service, he was also interested in the quality of service, how we serve, the attitude with which we serve, the heart with which we serve people. It's not enough to serve mechanically and coldly and heartlessly like a computer. It's, we put heart into our service. We put our soul into our service. He said greatness is not found or even success, he said it's found in service, in humbling ourselves to meet the needs of other people. Go to the book of Luke with me, please. Chapter 22, this is another occasion, but it's the same theme. This happened a little later on. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, Luke 22 and 24, and there was a strife among the disciples. This is the night before he died. There was a strife among the disciples. And you know what they're arguing about? Who should be the greatest? <laughs> like a bunch of children. My daddy is bigger than your daddy. You know, I'm more important than you are. Kid stuff, really immature stuff here. They're arguing about this. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, he said almost the same thing he said previously. The kings, the leaders, the power people of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority or power upon them are called their benefactors. But you shall not be so. And here he reiterates the teaching. He's already said it once. Sunday school teachers, we repeat because that's the way people learn. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He that is chief as he that doth, doth serve. For whether or who is greater, he that sits at the table and eats, or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat in the minds of the world? But I am among you. Another phrase to out, underline your Bible. I am among you as a servant. I am among you as a servant. You've seen that famous statue, haven't you? Jim over here has a copy of it in his office. It's the statue of the man, the disciple, sitting there with his shoes off, his sandals off, and a basin of water in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's washing the feet of the apostle. Now stop. Y'all have heard that, but listen. Look up here. Really get a hold of this. This is God in the flesh. 
This is the creator of the universe. And the creator gets down on his knee, takes a basin of water, and he says to Peter, put your foot out. And God Almighty washes the dirty foot of a fisherman. His feet were dirty. They wore sandals. They didn't wear the shoes we wear. If he had walked across the yard, his feet would have been dirty by then. God Almighty washing the feet of a fisherman. That's the model. How near are we like that in our attitudes towards people? Go to Romans 15. Let me show you another one. Romans 15, please. I'll show you another passage. All of these come together, and they make an argument that's incontrovertible for the spirit and attitude that we ought to have as God's people. The book of Romans chapter 15 and verse number 1. We then that are, the, that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And here it is, not to please ourselves. Not, that's the hardest thing in my life. It'll be the hardest thing in your life, and it is if you're practicing it. You see, I want to please myself. I think my way is the best way. I, 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 I want my comfort. I, I want things the way I've done. I, I want people to cater to me. And we all do. We like that. I, I love convenience. I love comfort. And yet, when I begin to probe deep into my heart and my soul, I think, wait a minute, this is not, this is, I'm not showing myself to be the follower of him. I help bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please myself. Go to the next verse, just as powerful. says it again. Let every one of us please his neighbor. That's an other's focus. That's an outward focus. Verse 3, even Christ pleased not himself. Even Christ pleased not himself. You think he wasn't hot and tired and thirsty that day when they got to the, that well? And the disciples all went off to buy bread in the village, and he hadn't eaten anything, and he obviously was thirsty. He asked the woman for the drink of water, and he stood there in that hot Israeli sun, and he talked to her about her soul, a woman of ill repute, a woman who who had a horrible reputation and background, a woman who the rest of the village probably wouldn't, would not have even spoken to. And he invested his time in her. He pleased not himself. Don't you think he'd rather sat under a tree? Don't you think he would have rather had them serving him? The disciples came back and said, well, Jesus, um, we got you some food. We've been to Chick-fil-A. And Jesus said, I don't need it. I have meat to eat that you know not of. There is a greater reward in what I've been doing, leading this 
woman to Christ than anything you could give me materially. One other thing, service for Jesus was an end, was a means to an end. Service was a means to an end. What do I mean by that? The end point for Jesus was redemption. Service, his serving people was connected to his mission. Go back now to our original text passage in Matthew chapter 20. In verse 28, he ends that passage, the reading of today, my reading ended with this phrase, to give his life a ransom. To give his life a ransom for many. What does it mean to give your life a ransom? When we hear the word ransom, we think of two things. It might be the price that was paid for a slave in the days of slavery. A slave was ransomed by a payment, purchased by a payment called a ransom. And when there's a kidnapping, a crime, then the kidnapper holds the person that they're holding as a hostage They hold them for a ransom. They wait for a payment to be made for them. Reminding us that we are captives. In that itself, Jesus said, you're captives. You're captives to sin. You're captives to your own flesh. You're captives to your own lust. And my purpose is to come and to seek and to save lost people, like fill the city or 10,000 other methods. My purpose is redemption to give my life so that people can hear the gospel, they can be saved, and to restore the image of God in them that was broken and disfigured when sin came in. And my goal is that they not only get saved, but they be conformed, that they look like me in their lifestyle and in their thinking. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Do you look like Jesus in your lifestyle and in your thinking? Or are we just using Jesus as a ticket to get to heaven Oh, the one thing that ought to dominate our thought after a few years is my role in life now, my purpose in life beyond anything else, beyond pastoring this church, beyond earning a living, beyond anything, my goal in life is to be like Jesus so the people around me can say, this stuff is really real. He came to set us free from the control of sin. To ransom us, we are slaves to sin, lust, passion, covetousness, impulse. And Jesus said, I came to set you free. That's my mission, redemption. And his motivation was what? What motivated Jesus? One thing, love, agape love. Love that gives, love that expresses itself, not romantically, but love that expresses itself in actions that help lift other people and encourage them in their life. His service was a means to an end. It was not the end. Here's another way to say it. The folks at Chick-fil-A, they're not, service is not the end, service is the means. You know what the end is, isn't it? don't you? Eat more chicken. They got it on every sign going around the building, eat more chicken. If you're going camping, eat more chicken. If you're going on a picnic, eat more, you know, you're sick of hearing, eat more chicken, more chicken. So why do they say, how may I serve you? Why do they say, my pleasure? They want you to come back and eat more chicken. 
That's the end. They wouldn't be in business if people didn't eat more chicken. You could be the best servant in the whole world and get out of business real quick if people aren't buying your product. And in the Christian realm, redemption is our goal. Getting the gospel to people, seeing lost people saved, and then seeing them become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at Chick-fil-A, the end is sell chicken. The means is an attitude of service and pleasing the customer. At the Florence Baptist Temple, the means or the end is redemption of a lost world and conformity to the image of Christ. The means is a servant spirit. You see, we don't exist as a church to please ourselves. We have a mission, and we exist to carry out the mission. I've often thought, many, many times I've thought as I prepared messages, what would it be like if somehow one day that door opened back there, maybe two or three minutes after the service started, and somebody walked in there, was a gentleman walked in, and somehow or other I could identify him and recognize him as Jesus. He wouldn't be dressed like the pictures we have of him on the earth. He'd look like one of us. Somehow, it was communicated to me that Jesus was here. The congregation didn't know he was here. I was the only one that knew it. What would he do? I'll tell you exactly what he would do. He would smile. Because a smile reflects joy. And a smile makes other people feel accepted. When somebody smiles at you, you kind of relax inside. They accept me. When they glare at me, it does the opposite, obviously. So Jesus, the fountain of joy, I know he would smile. He wouldn't be giddy and foolish. He's not happy, clappy. He's not a cheerleader. But there would be a genuine joy. It would cause him to smile at other people. The second thing he would do, he would speak to them. A smile makes us feel accepted. Uh, Speaking to us makes us feel comfortable. When people speak back to me, I get that same feeling of acceptance, of comfort. And he would share anything that he could do to help people. He would share that. In Acts chapter 2, the Acts chapter 2 church sold their possessions and gave them to the people in the congregation that had need because everybody was broke and poor and persecuted at that point. And then the last thing he would do, he would serve. He would look for ways to make other people feel comfortable and welcome and accepted. He might even slide over in his pew. He might, because he has a sharing spirit. I've always wanted a church. I've always wanted to pastor a church that would be a congregation that reflected the image of God as a body, not a few people here and there, but that the whole church, there was a loving, serving one another spirit that we had here, and then we would take it out a needy world. And the world would say, those people at the Florence Baptist Temple are so much like Jesus, 
I want to go and be a part of that. It must be wonderful to be in a body where people genuinely love each other and are not jaded as they are in the rest of society. Let me tell you, something I know as a preacher you might not be aware of. Across the South right now, there must be 10,000 Baptist churches and churches of other groups as well. But I'm just interested in the Baptist right now. There must be 10,000 churches across the South, and they're dying. They're dinosaurs. I give them 10 more years, and they're going to be extinct because the culture has changed. And where the Judeo-Christian culture used to prevail here in the South, and everybody went to church, and everybody was open to the gospel, it's changed. It's changed in the last three to five years, I'm going to say. It's not like that. It's like I'm standing here on the same platform where I've stood for 48 and a half years, and you know what? The world around me out there shifted and just moved over on me. And the culture out there doesn't care one thing about our message, not one thing. And I'm convinced the only thing that's going to convince that culture out there, that harsh, mean, bitter, arguing, cursing culture, The only thing that will convince them is when they look at some of us and we have the goods, we have the reality of Jesus Christ in our life, and they say there must be something to that. And across the country, thousands of churches, they're on their last legs. They're gasping for breath. When the old generation that started the thing dies off, it's gone. I'm not the only one that thinks that. The the church growth people are saying that more than I'm saying that. And the problem is, I'll tell you why it is, they missed this principle. They are dying because they exist for themselves. They think the church is about us. Church is not about us. Over every door, we ought to write, you are now entering the mission field when you leave these doors. It's not about us. It's about a lost world that the Savior came to redeem. And through service and love and and submission and humility, God will use us to touch people all across that culture. And if you're here today and you're not saved, this has been a message really to church family. But if you're not saved, what could I say today? What could I say that would awaken you to the need of your own soul's salvation? Have you watched so many movies and video games and seen so much stuff that you've become jaded emotionally? And when I tell you of the love of Jesus Christ and how he hung on a cross and died for sins, your sins, that it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't stir your heart. Oh, my precious friend, listen to me. He came to give his life a ransom. He gave for you his life, his blood, to ransom to pay your sin debt. Think of that. Man, I, I can't help but love him for what he's done for me. I talked to a man yesterday 
who had a tragedy in his life. And I contacted him and said, what can I do to help you? And he sent me back a long email and thanked me for the many years of service he had been here and the impact of the ministry here on his life. He said, I walked into that church as a young man fresh out of the army. I heard a young preacher, and I can tell you what you said that night 40-some years ago. I said, what did I say? He said, some of you who are young people someday are going to be 70 years old sitting on the edge of a bunk in a nursing home. And you're going to spend the rest of your days and all of eternity regretting that you rejected Jesus Christ. And he said, that stabbed me. And 40-some years later, I remember like yesterday what you said. Don't make a decision today that you will regret the rest of your life. If you don't know Jesus, come today and receive him as your Savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.